this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week, we're not doing a request review. We're not doing a Patreon review. We're not doing any sort of review that someone suggested. We actually got to pick our own review for this week, Jay, and it's exciting that we got to do that. It doesn't happen often, which is no, a good thing. No, and we like doing the request reviews, but every once in a while, we want to. something's been on our mind, and we want to scratch that itch, so to speak. And so mm-hmm. this week, I picked an album that had been on my to-do list basically since we started the podcast. Um, I like when we get to do the albums where there was like a single off the album and mm. we only got to know them, know a band through that one single and then they maybe disappeared from the radio or what have you. And they might have had just that one killer single and then never investigated beyond that. And now's well, our chance to do that. I think our backlog that, uh, that really was the inspiration for the show however many years ago we started this is that that's pretty typical what the a lot of that backlog looks like yep. the one hit band that got the deal but fell off the map and we have we own the cd exactly they existed. <laughs> <laughs> the band that i picked is ruth ruth and we're going to be talking about their 1995 album laughing gallery now when i picked this record it immediately popped into my brain that someone I knew had written a long article about Ruth Ruth. And so, Me? no, not you, Jay. Y- your wife? Everyone knows that you can't read or write. So okay. that was Katie. That was okay. Katie doesn't listen to rock music. So it wasn't well, who Katie. Who else do you know? Uh, I know people through this podcast who I've uh, never met in person, but whom I share a mutual appreciation for 90s music, Jay. And I feel like. You know, we all would have hung out at the same college radio station together had we all uh, gone to college at the same time in the same place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So to help us discover for the first time or rediscover from their single Ruth Ruth and their 1995 album Laugh-A Gallery, the man who authored that article at punktastic.com. He's been on the show before. Welcome back, Jeff Takis. Jeff, welcome back. Hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back, and and not on a roundtable. We're actually going to uh, dig into one album by itself and talk a little bit about this in our typical review format. So you are the man who runs uh, Rocket Fuel podcast, and people can find you at uh, Rocket underscore Fuel on Twitter, just so you know, and Rocket Fuel podcast on Facebook, and rocketfuelpodcast.com got it so back in 2015 those halcyon days of 2015 when the world was shiny and not a care in the world uh you wrote an article about ruth ruth what was the inspiration for writing the article well i had um always been a fan of ruth ruth in particular uh this debut record laughing gallery and i had just wanted to um start kind of a series of articles where I would kind of write about and give the story and the history of a band who I kind of felt like never got their due. 
And um, Ruth Ruth, when I started this and the, the, the great folks at Punktastic gave me the go-ahead to do that, um, Ruth Ruth was the first band that came to my mind. And um, so I just wanted to tell their story. So I reached out to, to Chris and to Mike in the band, and um, they were gracious to uh, spend a lot of time with me via email, uh, going back and forth, kind of walking through the entire history of the band and, and – uh, it was really, um, really awesome to, to get to have that experience with them and then get to tell their story uh, as best I could uh, in that Punktastic article. I was familiar only really with the single, Uninvited. Jay, did you know anything? Did you know that single or did you know anything about the band besides that single? Uh, I didn't remember it until I heard it. So at some point, yeah, I, I do remember hearing it. Um, and the band name was familiar, but other than that, I, I didn't have much, uh, much else to go by. Okay. Let's talk a little history of Ruth Ruth. So where are these guys from originally, Jeff? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, they're from New York City. Um, okay. They got together uh, around 1993. And um, once they uh, started, um, you know, they got together and started playing together and thought that they were uh, good enough to get gigs uh, in the city. You know, obviously New York City is a pretty big town. Um they literally hit the street with tapes and would hand out tapes um, to passersby, to people in clubs, to like whoever would take them out of their hand. And um, through that process, they were able to get um, kind of a residency at the Continental uh, Club in New York City uh, where they would essentially play once or twice um, a, a week for months, um, which was really kind of where they started to to cut their teeth, which led to uh, you know them getting signed to American and you know putting out that that first record, Laughing Gallery. That's kind of how they got their their start. So they were on American, and apparently there were some issues, I guess, with uh, the label with regards to um, a follow up because they ended up leaving. Yeah, they, you know, th their story sadly isn't that atypical from bands in the 90s, of, as you guys have well read and, and talked about. Um, you know, they put out this record and it just never um, got promoted right. It just never um, got the, you know, the push that the band felt that it should have gotten. Um, and, you know, obviously the single uninvited, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, uh, you know, did pretty well, you know, got played on 120 minutes and, and got some, some radio play across the country, uh, on alternative rock stations and stuff like that. Um, but it never really got the push that, that they were hoping to. And, and part of that process for them is on that first tour, I think it was their first tour, um, to support Laughing Gallery, they actually were on the road with Everclear, which was when um, I actually first saw them. Actually, the only time I've seen them live um, was Everclear was in support of their first record, um, World of Noise, and Ruth Ruth was touring in support of um, of Laughing Gallery. And I should say Everclear was just about to release Sparkle and Fade. So they're on tour with Everclear and Sparkle and Fade comes out and then – as they're touring together, Everclear blows up and blows up and blows up. And so they're seeing this happen while they're on tour with them. And here they are, like, you know, with a record that they think is, you know, a solid, 
album not getting the push. They're not getting, you know, the the attention uh, that they thought they deserved. Not in an egotistical way, but just in a, you know, it's you're literally on the road with this band that is getting huge, and you feel yourself not moving. So um, they ended up leaving American um, shortly thereafter, um, and actually put out a really cool EP on Epitaph Records um, for fans of of punk rock. You know, that's Brett Gurowitz's uh, label, and he actually produced um, their next uh, recording, which was the EP called Little Death. Um, and a lot of uh, you know, kind of hardcore fans of Ruth Ruth um, love the Little Death uh, EP. Uh, and so uh, they put that out. That was only really meant to be kind of a one-off um, with Epitaph. And... Um, through kind of this this weirdness with American and and the kind of the A and R folks, they ended up getting a record deal back with RCA um, after that, which led to their next full length, uh, which came out in '98 called "Are You My Friend." Um, cool, it's a cool record. Um, it's very different uh, than Laughing Gallery. I know we're not going to get into that record today, but um, it's 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 a different sound than Laughing Gallery and. Um, you know, again, kind of, you know, same, same band, same song kind of, you know, they didn't get really a lot of airplay, didn't get uh, a lot of stuff they were looking for, uh, from that, from that record, uh, in the late nineties. So that's, um, that's where they kind of went after that. They, they changed their name in the early two thousands to ultra V put out another record on RCA and kind of the story goes on and on, uh, from from there, but ultimately uh, they broke up in the early uh, 2000s. Yeah, and there's a 2004 album, right. and then a break, and then there's a Live in Toronto album that came out in 2009. Right. And um, apparently one of those Ultra V songs got rewritten for a Kid Rock album. Right, which is pretty crazy. And um, through that process, uh, Chris from Ruth Ruth got the chance to meet Kid Rock and as you can imagine that was an experience oh I would imagine that's quite an experience to hang out with uh, with the kid right right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with Mr. Rock I guess right yeah Um, let's get into this record let's talk about Laughing Gallery Uh, what we liked what we didn't like Jay I want to start with you tell me what you liked about this record Uh, I like the singer a lot um, I think the vocal, it's got a lot of, um, character to it. I think in times he's almost playing a character, um, with some of the lyrics and, and really, um, you know, having fun, but he can also kind of get a little bit, um, gritty. I think there's you know, a rasp to his voice, uh, that's, that, that makes it, um, carry some weight. And I think he can deliver a melody against a pretty, you know, powerful band, you know, so I think he cuts through um, pretty well. Um, I don't want to get too much into the criticism yet, but at times I wish I could hear more of him um, and more of the voice and let that carry the song because I think in a lot of ways it's it's really bringing the melody to most of these tunes. So yeah, I like the singer a lot. It, it's kind of kind of voice that uh, I I could uh, I'd like to hear him sing all kinds of different things. You know, um, so. Definitely a big two two thumbs up on the uh, on the on the vocals. I'm going to concur with you. You know who you, he reminded me of? Um, if uh, if you take Rob Dickinson from Happy Days era Catherine Wheel and combine him with Danko Jones, 
that's who uh that's who he reminds me of right just that like smart ass and you know f- funny um sarcastic delivery at times with bravado at other times and um just in- injects a lot of personality to it which i think sets this band just slightly above some of their peers i think the other thing that i really liked is that i th- i feel like and i think chris kennedy who's the lead singer and then this is a three piece right jeff right so he's the bass player and then he's also the primary songwriter and right. when i hear these songs for example if you take um track 2 uptight there's a there's a lot going on in that song from a musical standpoint a lot there's there's key changes and modulation going on in in the choruses and the post chorus like bridge and if that's what you want to call that section it's just it's this isn't straightforward as you if you might call this a punk band or um i i, I don't know what other description you would apply I, I, I guess punk is probably the closest thing but there there's a little bit more going on than four chords and you know the punk rock drum beat that's pretty typical I guess it would be like punk rock as far as like Elvis Costello is punk rock. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's still like a similar type of like I don't know. It it, it can be it can be very smart sounding at times, which he, he's able to pull off, and then it can be very like primal and just straight up the middle, you know, rock and roll, which is is cool too. And he can he can do both pretty well. I heard some buzzcocks in in some of it in terms of the the musicality of their playing, which is a little bit smarter and a little bit more advanced than just, you know, a, a simple, like I said, four chord sort of punk rock tune that you're, you're typically used to. Yeah. That's actually what I loved about this record uh, from the first time I heard it to today when I listened to it in preparation for this podcast, I hear elements of power pop in throughout this record with like that punk rock edge to it, which is, I think what distinguishes them in this record uh, from, you know, their, their peers at the time. And that's kind of what I, what I love about it is that it's, it's catchy and poppy, but then has, you know, kind of that punk rock edge uh, to it throughout. So that's one of the things I really love about the record. Give me something else. What else is is about this record that you like? Um, You know, I like, the lyrics on this record throughout Jay kind of touched on it a little bit at times. It's playful at times. It's, um, you know, funny. Um, 
but also it's to me what stands out through the through the record is that uh, this is these are lyrics written by someone who clearly is in their own head a whole lot. Um, you know, thinking about you know kind of words like neurotic and you know just uh, you know those kinds of of things. And I just really. Um, you know, when I first heard, you know, this record when I'm, you know, 16, 17 years old, like that was just really kind of fresh to me that someone was, you know, writing lyrics that were so like, you know, kind of, um, someone who's unabashedly saying like, I'm kind of crazy and I'm just gonna write and sing about it. Like, I just really liked, um, the, the general theme uh, of this record, which is kind of that. I mean, there are other, you know, subjects that are touched on uh, in the record, but generally as a theme, I feel like that's kind of the overall theme. And I've always just kind of, kind of loved that. Yeah, I can, I picked up on that too. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, it, it's not angsty. Right. It's just more un, uncomfortable outsider and nervous and, um, I mean, you know, uninvited, uptight, neurotic, uh, there's just, or neurotica. There, I mean, there's a lot of like, just, you know, a very, uh, um, self-aware and, and I don't know. I just, I just imagine someone who like fidgets a lot. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like spastic. Right. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's, yeah, that'd be the way I put it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different take. And it's uh, it's a lot. More, it's really interesting. And he's a real strong, you know, songwriter, uh, melody writer. Lyrically, he goes places that are interesting, and it's uh, he covers a lot of ground that I feel like wasn't covered um, in the '90s, just in terms of being a little bit smart alecky and, and sarcastic, and you know, a bit more intro. Introspective in terms of uh, his neuroses than um, other songwriters were. So, what if anything, Jeff? I'll start with you. Does not work on this record for you? Yeah, I'm like the worst person to ask this question to. I figured <laughs> only. <laughs> um, I, I um, you know, I knew this question was coming, and I, you know. There, you know, this is it's one of my favorite records, so it's really hard for me to say something that I don't I don't like. Um, so I, I do have one, although it's kind of ironic. I, I um, you know, the choice for Uninvited to be the lead single is, in hindsight, a little interesting to me, um, only because I feel like there are some other songs that. Um, you know, Uninvited is the longest song on the record, just over four minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, now, you know, 20 some odd years later, um, if that was the best lead single um, to show the, the 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 true sound of the band. Um, you know, even though Uninvited did pretty well, like I said, got, you know, got some some solid radio play and is the song that they're remembered for. Um, you know, there's a part of me that now wonders if, you know, like a song like already down, um, or some of the others, um, might've been, even I killed the Meg, the prom queen. I wonder if those would have been interesting single choices, um, that may have attracted a broader audience, but the actual record itself, I have nothing. Yeah. 
Already Down reminds me of, like, um, what's that Australian punk band, Jay, that we like? Living End? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, I feel like they're they're not far off from that swagger that the Living End has in in their sound. It's uh, fairly similar. Jay, mm-hmm. I, felt, I, I feel like you might have some more... <laughs> things that didn't work when i just listened to it casually and wasn't really analyzing it i felt i started to feel a little fatigued uh on the sound of it Mm -hmm. and i thought maybe before i had taken notes that maybe it was going to have to do with the songwriting but as i did my notes i really liked the vast majority of the songs um and i think as i listened closer to maybe what was fatiguing me was the production. And uh, the guitars are awful tinny um, and really loud. Um, And I love loud guitars, but, you know, how many tracks we have here? Twelve. Twelve tracks of pretty much the same mix. You know, they really only, I think, kind of pull back a little bit for uh, Don't Shut Me Out maybe a couple other moments. I mean, the rest of the record is pretty full blast, you know, amps full gain, not a fantastic engineering job on the guitar. So it just, I think by the time I, I get to track eight or so, I, I've, I feel a little like I need a break <laughs> and there's still three more songs left. So it goes from something like really great, uh, the first half of the record to like, oh, these are good songs too, to I don't, I need to take, my ears need a break from this. So I think that's really my biggest critique of it. Um, inside that comment, I think there would be, I just, I really like his voice so much. And I think if the album could be remixed a little bit to pull the guitars down a tiny bit and give me more vocal, maybe give me a little bit more background vocal as well. Cause when they do introduce that, it really takes mm-hmm. the songs to another level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I could see just, just, you know, kind of producing the songs maybe a little bit differently, um, to, to make the song come out even more. I think there's some times here where the production gets in the way it's so blaring and in your face, it it gets in the way a little bit of the, of the really strong melodies that, that are there in the, in the songwriting that's underneath it all. Do you think what you just said, um, about kind of the kind of being full blast kind of in your face and got that fatigue factor. I wonder if it would have been to the record's benefit if track 11, which is I grew up, which is kind of like the lone softer song, if you will, was higher, you know, in that track listing as opposed to being 11, if it were more, you know, halfway through to kind of separate side A and side B, I wonder if that would have, been of a benefit to it. I mean, it's a short song, but it makes me wonder after hearing you say that. Yeah, or don't shut me out. I think that's a that's probably the most poppy song on the record to me. And like putting that 
maybe earlier to, to shake things up a bit. It could use a little work on the sequencing and just overall flow. I agree with you on the guitars, Jay. The There's not enough like mid, I think, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of high end on those guitars. They're pretty... It's a tough headphone listen. Yeah, yeah. It gets... Because it's, it's only 38 minutes, the record, and in theory, you shouldn't get burned out, but it's just that the guitar keeps hitting the same spot every single song, Yeah, and it's it's like if the cymbals are too high in a mix, and you start to just get like washed over with cymbal noise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I do, I think that the lack of one single break in the order in terms of like just taking it down a notch um, is probably adds to that because you just mm-hmm. never get a single song where like, even if they had just had a song where the bass just took over from like most of the verse or something like that. Yeah. But the guitars pretty much are in every part of every song and they, uh, they never take a break. No. And he, and the singer barely takes a break. I mean, there's, I, if you really pay attention to him, <laughs> I was getting like winded because I mean he uses a lot of words and he really pushes a lot of air. And there's parts of the record where I'm like, man, just catch your wind, like holy smokes, <laughs> yeah, he is going a a million miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, you probably yeah you probably are getting some fatigue transferred to you via his uh, performance. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, probably happening there. Anything else? I mean, I overall, I, I didn't have a lot of complaints about this record, which, you know, is pretty rare. I mean, usually, we usually have something, but other than just a little bit of tweaking to the either the running order or the or the production, I mean, I, everything is there though. I mean, the songs, the singer, they're all there. It's just the it's stuff to, sort of the stuff that's around that that. Uh, needs a little bit of an adjustment but there's no like there's no not one of these songs when i go this one's a total clunker which i think is totally interesting because you know again thinking about kind of the stereotypical 90s band where you hear the one song that they were remembered for i mean you guys are obviously the pros at this but when you go back and listen to some of those records you can kind of hear like oh well there's maybe like half of a good record or you know like oh i can see like why this song was the one that people know and they don't know the rest for me it's always been a bit of a puzzler in that this band never got past that one song and i i'm curious to know what you all think about that after hearing this this record um you know if they you know obviously what happened is what happened you know it is what it is but i wonder if as you hear this record maybe versus some of the others you've heard along the way um how it might stack up as far as like oh man like this is a this is a far better record than it than it got treated or maybe it did get treated at the appropriate level maybe i'm getting too far ahead of y'all but i'm just curious well you know what let's let's think of it this way what's the what are the contemporaries for this band and and this record if you're talking about if you want to say that this is somewhere between power pop and punk so it's it's let's say it's pop punk for the heck of it um okay. is green day a contemporary i mean i don't know Maybe. i actually heard a a green day kind of feel in a couple of the songs musically not vocally but if you just listen to the music i, I could say it's it's somewhere in the ballpark sometimes 
What about the offspring? Is are they a contemporary? Nah, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think so. I think again. I think Ruth Ruth is different than even Green Day in that. I, to me, Green Day is just a punk band. Okay. Uh, and to me, Ruth Ruth is again. I would say they skew more. You know, alternative rock is such a big, broad term. I, again, that's where I see them more into the the power pop mixed with punk type of an edge um, sound. And I, I kind of struggle to think about what a contemporary might be. That's there's your answer why they didn't. <laughs> I mean, right. power pop is never popular despite its right. name. I mean, Matthew Sweet was probably the only power pop artist who broke through in the nineties. But other than that, you know, most power pop is appreciated by musicians and, you know, a few music fans, but it never breaks through to the mainstream. I mean, Cheap Trick would be the only other option right. for, a, for a power pop band. Um, and I mentioned the, you know, Green Day and The Offspring because they both had huge albums the year before in 1994. Right. So to me, the door was open for punk bands to just start flooding in at that point. You know, millions of albums sold by those two bands obviously there's a market for bands calling themselves punk or pop punk or what have you. And I don't know where, you know, this band lies on that spectrum then because, you know, when you compare, you know, I'm thinking about like Dookie, Dookie has the fast songs like basket case, but then it has like when I come around, which is not really a fast song. I mean, it's, it's like a mid tempo Right song, um, and this album doesn't have that. Right, it's pretty much you know eleven or twelve basket cases. Right, which is yeah. fine if you can pull that off. But right, yeah, no, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought for sure. It's just always been, again, something that's always kind of puzzled me as you know someone who you know unabashedly loves this record. Um, it just has been, you know, again, that was why they were the first ones I thought of when I wanted to do this little series for Punktastic because, like, they always just stuck out as a band that I thought was put out a really great record that didn't get the attention it deserved. But, I mean, it's, yeah, your your analysis as far as it relates to the power pop genre is pretty yeah, uh, pretty accurate. And, and they never really toured with punk bands. You know, they kind of toured with... right more of the alternative rock bands, you know, bands like Everclear and No Doubt and Space Hog and like bands like that. And so I don't know if that helped them or hurt them or had no impact one way or the other. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I don't see the how they would do well opening for Space Hog because that's a completely different sound. Right. And I mentioned the people going to see Space Hog. I well, I don't know remember if people were going to see Space Hog specifically to see space hog or not i mean they had only one single but i i mean opening for everclear i mean that's that's a tough one because that made some sense of their stuff was up was up tempo yeah and if, faster if you, yeah if you think if you think to if you think of world of noise yeah. and sparkle and fade like if you take out the rest of their discography and just start with those first two records yeah them touring with everclear made a whole lot of sense like that's right. like they fit to me, they fit well together. Um, World of Noise is another record that I really love, by the way, Sparkle and Fate, too. But like, you know, that 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 tour made made sense to me then. And it still does now. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know. Jay, do you have any thoughts on uh, their place in the 90s world? Well, I, I came into it uh, at face value, quick listen. Oh, okay, this is a this is a power punk band. But then I quickly, you know, second, third listen became obvious to me that they're more than that. Um, so I feel like that, that was kind of a base maybe musically of what was – the spirit was but they were certainly moving in places that were are a lot more melodic and complex and um sophisticated than what you hear typically from a lot of the bands um that we've talked about i mean there's it's also just a different level of musicianship here i think not that it's complicated but and obviously i think the vocal abilities take the band to a completely different place so all in the package is is pretty unique particularly for the 90s i would i would agree it's hard. To, it's hard to pin them down, which is one of the worst things that can said, be said about you when you're dealing with uh, yeah. marketing a band in the '90s. Right. Uh, let's talk about our overall thoughts on this record. Uh, let's narrow it down to what we like to uh, define as worthy album, better EP, or decent single. Jay, I'll start with you. Where do you lie? I have every song from one to eight highlighted to me for me what meaning i like it um and i think it's good um so based on that i think it's a worthy record i think the songs i don't have highlighted or they're you know i'm not gonna turn them off but they sort of were okay um so just based on that i mean 8 out of 12 is, is pretty pretty good batting average so i think it's a worthy record i'm gonna concur with you i think it's a worthy record uh running order and slight production tweaks aside there's really not a single clunker of a song on this whole record so it's definitely worth checking out i'm going to go ahead and assume jeff that you share our sentiments i do and i'm happy to hear that you have those same thoughts um you know one of the things that we haven't really said is just kind of overall you know one through 12 like I, this is just just a fun record to me like this is one of those records that's really fun to play loud even with the loud guitar sounds and sing along to once you learn the words and all that kind of stuff like it's just a fun listen and uh i think that's noteworthy for folks who haven't checked out this record um if they decide to i, I think it's a really fun record to listen to i concur that's all needs to be said Jeff, thanks for joining us for this episode and helping us uh, dissect Laughing Gallery by Ruth Ruth. Yeah, it's my it's my pleasure, and it's it's kind of uh, noteworthy to add, Tim, that um, you know the band is back together. Um, they did uh, reunite uh, about a year or eighteen months ago, and uh, are playing some shows uh, kind of in the Northeast. Um, you know, again, they're from New York City. Um, you know, they're playing some shows in the Northeast and, uh, that's really, uh, exciting to see. In fact, they've got an opening, uh, slot in a show in December opening up for the descendants, which is pretty cool. So, um, uh, so it's kind of neat to see them back again and, uh, enjoying playing those tunes again. Cool. Excellent. And people can follow them on Instagram for, uh, their touring, uh, uh, info. And then also, I believe they're on Facebook and, and they, they post some, I mentioned Instagram cause they post some old pictures when they toured in the nineties. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, I forgot to mention at the top, Steve Musinski of, uh, our Patreons, he did comment on this 
album. He said, between the band's name and the album cover, I must admit I was pretty damn skeptical. However, there's a certain confidence and energy at play here that make the majority of the album pretty hard to deny. For example, Uptight didn't connect with me right off the bat, but I still felt compelled to write it out. Now it's kind of grown on me, almost as if the band convinced me. Dynamically, I would have liked to have heard them bring down... Bring it down a notch or two on a couple songs. At 12 tracks, some of this stuff starts to blend together. Um, and then he said, also, hard panning the vocals on Pervert. Not sure why they did that. In mm. my opinion, it doesn't serve the song whatsoever. It's just distracting. That's a good one. Yeah, I meant to, meant to call that out. I thought that was odd. Uh, but overall, I did enjoy the record. Good pick, Tim. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, did either of you draw any comparisons to the stereo at any point? I sure did. That's interesting. Jay, we reviewed the stereo yep. a couple seasons back. Um, I I feel like this is a little bit, I don't know, edgier, a little bit more yep. on top, a little uh, you know, more more energy than that band. Not that the stereo wasn't energetic, but just just a different vibe. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that, Tim. I love the stereo too. Um, shocking, I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's. Um, I would say that the, the the Ruth Ruth is more straightforward than the stereo is. The stereo have some really great, um, you know, punk tunes. I'm thinking of like their debut record, Three Hundred. Um, mm-hmm. But then, but then the closing song to that record is so beautiful and is just you know Jamie Wolford of the band and, and a piano essentially for most of it. And you know that was something that Ruth Ruth would would never have have done on a record like laughing gallery. So they're, they, they're, I, I can see the similarities um, for sure. That's a good, a good, interesting call. Sorry, Steven, I didn't get you up front. Should have got you at the top. Just uh, realized that uh, the comment was sitting there and I hadn't addressed it. You're a listener and you'd like to join us at Patreon. Please do so because by the time this airs, we have given away a, a t-shirt from our Zazzle store to one of our Patreon subscribers. Um, I hope they enjoy the shirt. And wear it proudly. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash dig me out. That means we have entered the third quarter of 2017, which means we'll have a third quarter giveaway for our Patreon subscribers sometime in the next three months. Rocketfuelpodcast.com, rocket underscore fuel at Twitter, and on Facebook, Rocket Fuel Podcast. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was fun. And if you like what you heard, Please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We are out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber. Or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Yeah.